Hello, hello and welcome, or welcome back I should say, to the Indie Football Podcast, our second episode of 2018. I am Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and I am joined for the first time this year by our chief football writer, Miguel Delaney. Miguel, how are you? Good, good. Good to be here. Back. Been a long time since you've been on, I guess, uh, dating back to 2017. What yeah. have we had? You went to Swansea last week. How was that? You enjoyed Wales? Uh, horizontal rain. Yeah. Is that the first time you've been to Wales? No, no, I've been a few, a few times. Oh, you Champions, Champions League, League final, of course. Been to Swansea two, three, three times. Two Chelsea away fixtures at Swansea in consecutive years, just for the. No, no, no it's uh, very interesting. Everyone, uh, <laughs> good to hear. Um, yeah, yeah. Busy weekend for you. You're at, you're at Spurs. What do you what do you make of Wimbledon Spurs? Just a routine cup tie. Well, I was quite impressed with Neil Arley speaking afterwards. Yeah. Probably the biggest thing of the weekend for me was uh, Neil or not Neil Arley. It was uh, the VAR. Um, oh yeah, VAR. 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 Come on, VAR. Not yeah, VAR. So Jack Pitbrook is with us. Hello, Jack. Hi, Ed. Um, I don't usually like to drag in off-air stuff because usually it's legally questionable. But Miguel uh, referred to video <laughs> refereeing as VAR uh, shortly before we came on air and, and me and Jack have had to stamp this out. It's definitely VAR. Um, in October, I was lucky <laughs> enough to go to an, an MLS game oh, yeah. of exceptionally low quality between <laughs> uh, my, my beloved New York City FC yeah. uh, and Columbus Crew. Yes. And in the last minute, New York should have, should have had a penalty. The referee didn't give it. But then the... Um, like the VAR guy on the sideline intervened and all the fans in the crowd at the New York Mets stadium where the game is being held started going VAR, VAR, VAR <laughs> oh <my> <laughs> as the referee ran over to the screen to to look at the decision, realised that it was in fact a penalty which he then awarded, which bizarrely then David yeah. B missed. But like, Honestly, the buzz of chanting <laughs> VAR, VAR, VAR was amazing. I cannot recommend it enough. And frankly, if this gets brought in, if this is now part of the English football landscape, we're all better off for no, it. I want to I, I call it VAR in the same way that Mesut Ozil, despite his 8 million social media followers, has his little hashtag. He always goes, yeah, Gunners, yeah, that no one has picked up on. Yeah. Like, yeah. It hasn't spread in the slightest. No, but that's just branding. It's weird that despite... The love for Ozil, <laughs> an intense fan base, and no, no one has taken up on his on his little. I look. I personally. So tonight it's in the the FA Cup, or as Miguel calls it, the Fat Cup, <laughs> uh, for the first time. Crystal Palace uh, B team against Brighton second team. That's sure to be an absolute thriller. So uh, no talk about. Um, I mean, it would be funny, actually, I was thinking, if there was just no use for the VAR tonight. Everyone sat there mm. furiously waiting for this well, thing to happen, at, and it's not going to happen. At a little. Um, so yeah, explain explain what you went to. Just it was just a, a demonstration, basically a question, a, a, a Q and A with Mike Riley. He showed us how it works, all where, when it will be used, and their estimation is that it will be kind of it probably only be, it's usually only required once every two to three games. Right. So I, I'm broadly in favour, I have to say, but I can appreciate some of the um, resistance to it. I suppose the one thing they kept emphasising that it's only going to be used for clear and obvious errors or clear and obvious issues that are missed, but then. Even that is some way subjective. They, and they always say, like, this, mm. if you look at other sports, like cricket, for example, they always start off by saying it's going to be used for an incredibly narrow set of, obje and of objective mm. decisions. And then, event, you know, there's all, like, the line always moves. Like, it is what, a problem. It is a problem because, and, and cricket is a great example, and NFL, another one. Two sports where it's got, it's got a more mature usage of it because they've had it for a few years now. And, and probably two sports, I think you could say, where it's more obviously used because they are sports where you have lots of repeated events like mm. you know in cricket it, each ball is like very separated and in NFL each down is very separated but they both have the same problem where it's like okay well so we can see on the TV replays that this was a questionable decision but originally this is not what the video refereeing was for 
but we yeah. have the capability to review this. So that's the thing. Start, yeah, the, yeah. the line starts getting very blurred, and I think we're going to see that in football. Uh, well, at some well, point, what, right? what they said as well, one quote from I think I used this in the piece last night was. Um, people have this perception it's going to be used for every single incident that has a shade of grey when it's the opposite it's only going to be black and white incidents but again I mean I, I can imagine some referees would have a different view say on I don't know Hazard against uh, Bayern on Wednesday night I wrote a column about that earlier yeah. this week and it's the problem isn't it so that that, uh, that incident there mm. Lots of angry people about it. And the question is not, do you think it was a penalty? Do you think it was a penalty? Yeah, just about. Jack, do you think that was a penalty? Definitely. Producer Matt, Bayron and Hazard? Yes. Okay, you, you all think it was a penalty. I actually happen to as well. So it doesn't work quite as well because we all agree <laughs> in the room. But a lot of angry people who are saying it wasn't. And the question is, not if you think it was a penalty, is can you see why it was given? Of course you can see why it was given. He went for a tackle in the area. He missed it. He kicked the guy's foot. Hazard throws his leg back and he falls to the ground, that's for sure. But you can see why it's given. But that isn't the sort of... The, the problem is with these things is we're going to have these decisions where fans on one side are going to think mm. one thing, fans on the other side are going to think another thing, but it won't go down to the VAR. But and then there are going to be other decisions when you know fans are divided and then it does go to the VAR and you get what yeah. is notionally the correct decision. But it's, it's the other incident, the one where the fans are going to be annoyed about it. Why hasn't this gone to video? Yeah. And we're going to have this boring well, but, thing every week. But the thing there, okay, so beyond the, the concern for the disruption and slowdown of the game, one of the things that was mentioned was how you don't want to be ruling out a 30-yard screamer because of a 50-50 foul in the box two minutes beforehand. And he said in meetings with clubs, a lot of the managers and players stressed that they, when it comes to kind of the build-up to a goal, it needs to be narrower and they don't want that either. And they, they pointed out that MLS has kind of, they've narrowed it down to a two-second time frame, so it's mm -hmm. not in, the, in the two seconds before the goal, or the kind of the final attacking move. So, uh, but, but, the, but, again, but again, in practice, I suppose... That, uh, can the manager slash coach, do, do they challenge it, or is it the referee that decides? I think, uh, no, the referee, the referee hasn't, from what we were told the other night, the referee has no recourse to call for a review. It's imposed upon him. So, and from, By whom? From where? From the, from the video centre. From the video centre. Yeah, um, which is in Stockley Park, where we were. Um, but the, the, re the referee is basically just told to referee the game as normal. Good. Well, uh, I think it'd be funny, mm. you know, if the refs, like in, in NFL, they had these little flags they could throw up yeah. in the air to challenge it or something. Actually, one of the one of my main takeaways from it was the line that um, players will be booked if they aggressively aggressively was the word used do the uh, the square gesture. The referees. Uh, That's oh, hilarious because really? yeah. people are going to be doing that all the time. I know. <laughs> why would you not like? Why would you not do that? <laughs> it's, it's like um, waving the imaginary card, yeah. but that's the same principle. Well, um, we hadn't planned to talk about uh, VAR, <laughs> but Miguel's mispronunciation of it was so egregious <laughs> that we had to. Uh, originally, we came on here, I guess, to, to talk about three main things, uh, the three major talking points going on right now. One, uh, if you hadn't noticed, the transfer window is open, and we've already had a 142 million pound deal and a 75 million pound deal for a centre back, so things are going pretty smoothly um we've had uh, the fa cup third round which uh, was how magical would you say that was on a scale of uh, disney to harry potter uh yeah there were some good moments actually i was at, i was at forest arsenal yesterday which was a great game magic um i think it was probably good in part because arsenal took it so unseriously like they played effect i mean i was gonna say their europa league team probably a team worse than their europa league team uh, and they were taken to pieces by Forrest. Like they, they were Arsenal were genuinely lucky to get away with only losing four two, but it was a really good atmosphere. Um, you know, I think what Peterborough winning at Villa was good. Mm -hmm. Coventry obviously beating Stoke City at home is a great result. Even nil all draws in terms of actually 
results. I mean, we're probably... I, 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 basically, I suppose it's better than a routine 2-0 win for yeah. the Premier League team. Uh, after pointing out that... What is it? Before the Arsenal Forest game. So I think it was it four out of five games televised this weekend saw the favourites like the Premier League team mm. not win, which is a good thing. Mm. So three of those were nil-nils. I don't have a problem with that. You know, I'd rather see a nil-nil where Shrewsbury hold uh, West Ham or whatever than just watch Man United knock off Derby County on Friday mm. night. Like, I, I've got no interest in watching that. Um, Liverpool-Everton's obviously the exception, and Palace-Brighton's an all-Premier League tie. But the rest of them, I think, if you're getting an upset out of it, that's exactly what people want to watch on FA Cup third round, fourth round weekend. Later in the competition, like, we get the semi-final, you want to watch Chelsea-Man United, fine. At this point in the competition, what you do want is teams upsetting the odds, right? Mm. I think that's, uh, that's fair to say. Um, Stoke lost to Coventry, as you said, Jack. Uh, Mark Hughes has gone. I feel like we've been previewing his departure for around four months now. Um, just a quick chat on where do we think Stoke go from here? Well, I don't know. I mean, I think they should... I think they've got enough good players. They should be ambitious enough for a kind of relaunch with a good young manager. I mean... Th- the betting odds suggest they're going to go for someone more experienced than British or Irish, mm. um, which may, you know, I can see that's probably what the coach family want. But I think there is an opportunity there to kind of start from scratch and go in a more interesting way. There seems to be a bit of an unintended consequence here in terms of the glitz of the Premier League. And obviously it's, you know, now packaged as this um, huge, very successful, huge global marketing event to show, um, you know, best managers in the world, all of that. Uh, one, the chief executive of one club told us how their plans to make it the NBA of football. But yet, because of that, and because of the need, the huge financial incentive to stay in it, it means that a lot of clubs are basically going for these old-fashioned, not necessarily kind of um, managers who aren't that predisposed to kind of this attacking open football. And how, and it, it's pretty contributed to the situation where. So many games we see at the moment are basically just extreme defence against against attack. I was talking to someone who uh, is technically an investor in a Premier League club, but he said that what they're going for, what you see teams go for, is they're going for a high floor as opposed to high ceiling. Mm. Um, and with the exception, you'd say, is someone like Watford who went for silver, where you think that is a manager who could get you into the top eight or so, mm. but it wouldn't have surprised you if they were in the relegation zone either. Mm. You know, but a lot of these guys. Um, and you're obviously referring to your Pulis, Pardew sort of crew. Mm. The floor is quite. The floor is supposed to be higher. It's supposed to be like 17th, but the ceiling is 13th. Yeah, you know, yeah. And, and that's what we're looking at here. And and I mean, as much as as we like to talk about the FA Cup, there are loads of games there. What I think is interesting, Miguel, is that the whole weekend almost was overshadowed by <laughs> a Premier League rivalry. Yeah, um, and. You can't talk about... <laughs> the FA Cup game has become a vehicle for... Uh, yeah. Yeah, they, that's exactly <laughs> how it is. It became a vehicle for a soap opera being played out. Um, and to be honest, it reminded me of uh, when I was at school and you could go from one kid to the other saying, X, Y, Z just said this about your mum. <laughs> and that's pretty much how it turned out with Mourinho and Conte. I mean, the most as- astonishing thing on Friday when it's when Mourinho had the pop at Klopp and, and it felt like mm. it was at Klopp, right? Is that yeah, how you, I, 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 I would have thought it was more Klopp initially, I, to be honest. I thought it felt like a, a Klopp dig. Mm. And mm. Conte has chomped on that yeah. in a way that you could barely imagine. In fact, let's hear it now from, from Conte and then Mourinho. Uh, an astonishing sequence of events, really. Maybe uh, uh, he was speaking about himself in the past. Yeah. 
Maybe some, sometimes uh, I think that someone uh, forget what uh, said in the past uh, or what uh, uh, which is uh, his behavior. You understand? And uh, sometimes I think that uh, there is uh, uh, I don't know the, the name, but the uh, mensa senile when you are a, a bit. Come si dice demenza senile? It's very difficult, no? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <coughs> when are you? When are you? I don't think there's. I don't for, think forget, there's... forget uh, uh, what what do you do in the past. Uh, you understand that? Only thing I want to say to end the story is that yes, I made mistakes in the past on the touchline. Yes, I will make less, but I think I will still make a few. What never happened to me and will never happen is to be suspended for match fixing. That never happened to me, and will never happen. Amazing, uh, amazing stuff from both of them. Uh, Miguel, I mean, what do you make of it? Well, first of all, I mean, it was Conte's willingness to have a go. From, from what um, I'd heard all through last season, Conte was kind of spoiling for a bit of a go at Mourinho, especially since the incident at Sanford Bridge where Mourinho kind of berated him for, not berated him, kind of, you know, yeah, yeah. For, for, for celebrating so wildly a 4 0. Why do you think he held back last year? Uh, for, well, speaking to people who know him from Italy, they were very surprised because in Italy he was going to regularly get in yeah, yeah. so it didn't hold his tongue at all. They think that it was maybe due to his command of English because of a new country. Um, but then that was what was so interesting about this as well because. Mourinho wasn't necessarily talking about Conte. I would have thought he was more talking about Klopp, given the previous there. But once this was dangled in front of Conte, it was like he couldn't he couldn't restrain himself. He wanted to have this go. Jack, the thing is, Mourinho is is great at doing all the subtle digs. I mean, they're not subtle, but but he's a consistent dig, dig, dig. The thing with Conte, the reason this is so surprising is because he doesn't really he hasn't really done this, and then he's exploded. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing for me is he said the demenza senile line. Mm. Everyone can understand, you know... It's it's been repackaged now as amnesia. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) And what actually... Yeah, he did kind of mean forgetfulness. And if if the Chelsea press officer had just got in there and gone, it means he's forgetful. He's forgotten his own... Selectively forgotten his own misgivings, his his own problems. Then it might have been kind of suppressed. Instead, what we got was uh, Jose hitting back and almost like an all-out war. Yeah, I think you're right. I think we've got... I think Friday night was probably the greatest ever Jose Mourinho drive-by <laughs> in the sense that it was personal, vindictive, surprising. He, that was he, the best thing about he it. He went was, there in a way that you wouldn't... That, yeah, you know, they like don't, there was a kind usually. of... like Miguel and I were talking about this earlier. There was a kind of three-minute build-in. You didn't even know that there yeah. was going to be a punchline. And then he throws it in. I mean, we all know... I mean, there, is, there, have, there have been so many of these over the years mm. against Wenger, Graham Lasso, Brendan Rodgers. I think this was the... But they always kind of... They always kind of come out of the blue. You never see them coming. They're never really kind of prompted. Yeah, yeah. Although this one was slightly. <laughs> to, to be and then this was... I mean, it's just incredible. To, there, there's always something so exciting about a willingness from anyone yeah. to go all in with this kind of <laughs> yeah. personal criticism. The actual, the initial barb about the the, um, the match fixing, which we should stress legally that Conte was acquitted for, but the uh, the barb, it, 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 it was like a master storyteller in some ways, because like, the YouTube clip, clip of it, I was watching it last night, is three minutes and 17 seconds or something like that, and three minutes of that are 
this slow build-up where you don't think it's going. It, you, you, you can't imagine it's going to go in this direction. You know, he's really... He's, it's as if he's trying to build bridges. He's talking about how Conte's not to blame. I don't blame the Chelsea manager. You, there should be apologies to me and the Chelsea manager for the, the way the question was put. And then suddenly, out of nowhere, yeah. <laughs> it's complete 180. Yeah, that was so funny. The most impressed I've been by him all season. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it, it was a reminder that... It. He, <laughs> yeah, it was a reminder that yeah. he is... Um, he is incredibly good at these kind of like media theatrics. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm, I remember hearing a story that um, when Mourinho was kind of a student, and they were they, they were discussing the uh, you, you know the ideas of kind of I think you know when he was studying on the lines of kind of PE, mm-hmm. and he was discussing you know how how you manage people, how you how you coach them, and he was particularly taken with the uh, psychological angle. And was kind of like he he was you know devouring the information, and and in Italy apparently in the last few days now. Up until yesterday, we obviously Conte had his, his swipe back. But between Friday and Conte's swipe back, it, it was seen like, well, of course Conte lost. He's up against the master of communication. I remember, um, we, and something else Miguel and I were talking about earlier, uh, famously in, what, 2011, 2012, Pep Guardiola described Mourinho as El Puto Jefe, mm, as yeah. in, uh, the effing boss of the press room, uh, because of how good he is at conducting this kind of thing. And this... You know, it's kind of been lost a bit with Jose yeah. recently because he's he's been so but, but, miserable. But, but this was a reminder of that kind of charisma and power that he he wields. But, but this is the thing, actually, as well. I, I think now, unfortunately for Conte, maybe and because his English isn't quite as sharp as Jose's, he, he didn't get it out as, str- as strongly enough. But on Saturday, when he started talking about this idea of the cinema, uh, I mean, there was the implication there from what from the way he was putting it. I thought that yes, Mourinho's still good in here, but in terms of the football, he doesn't really know it anymore. And, and that, but that's a great point, though. I think, mm. like, and it, it, it is difficult to articulate. Like, it's really hard to deliver a zinger yeah. in a language that you're not really uh, you but don't Marie fully command it. it. Now, yeah. and, and you know, as, as someone who studied languages at university, like. I have a great admiration for Mourinho's proficiency in numerous languages. Like that is an incredibly difficult thing to do, and to have the depth of understanding that he has, mm-hmm. and like the multiple layers of understanding that he has, and it, that's probably the only way he beat kind of beat Conte in this verbal joust that we've had, mm. which is almost like a soap opera sort of level of thing. Um, I think that if Mourinho, you know, Mourinho says a lot of these things, and people are like, oh, it's a deliberate distraction, whatever. And there have been times this season when he, like that's happened. I said, no, I think yeah. he just lost the plot a little bit. But this, on this occasion, he's absolutely yeah. just reeled in contact. Th- that was too performative this, to, to uh, not be. Yeah, uh, and it's just on, and you know this leads on to the next debate, I guess. Which, if you saw Sunday Supplement on Sunday, you you might have seen a bit of an argument about this. Like, you know, should this be the story? Uh, I think it was Henry Winter from the Times saying that this is a distraction from the football, mm. and the LMA should intervene. And then on the other side, you've got uh, Sean Custis, uh, head of sport content at The Sun, saying this is the biggest story. Like, you know, your back page could either be Jesse Lingard plays well again, (laughs) or it could be, uh, who was it on Friday night? Was it Mourinho? Yeah, Mourinho. No, no, Conte says Mourinho has senile dementia. Mourinho hits back at Conte match fixing. Now, as much as we like football, people... Want uh, people are interested in the story and the soap opera as well. Yeah. But, but uh, you can have both. Like it's not it's not an either or situation. Like, I, I was more on Sean's side there. I have to say. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. One hundred percent online. You'll experience the all new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both, 
in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. Is it but, fair to say that because the Premier League is such a foregone conclusion this year, that actually this bit of soap opera is a bit welcome because yeah, a little bit, is everyone yeah. else tuning but, but, out? But, 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 but also, to be fair, I mean, the football is actually part of this as well because what is amazing, e- even for Mourinho, is that two such accomplished, respected, like, you know, essentially masters of their field, really respected men in terms of their sporting achievements, <laughs> to go this far. Yeah. It's, like, it's actually, and you're going to think, well, what, what will they say next? Yeah, <laughs> it's, I mean, the, the, the first thing to say is that it's absolutely hilarious. <laughs> this is the funniest thing to happen in football. I mean, nothing in 2018 will be as funny as this. Rafa, I mean, like, Rafa Jose was great and all that sort of stuff. And yeah. even last year, we, we had some phenomenal work, like the, the Wayne Shaw thing ended up pretty sad, but it was funny at the time. But But this... Yeah, I mean, this is like even like even compared to say like Pep versus Jose was never mm. as good as this because mm. Pep wouldn't go all in and Pep yeah. and like Guardiola obviously thinks that all this stuff is a bit beneath him. Whereas the Conte's willingness to go all in is what makes it so good. But yeah. I, I love this as well because as much as you know we're saying that because the Premier League is kind of a foregone conclusion, this is this soap opera, this sideshow is actually really entertaining, and it, it, the Premier League needed this little sideshow well, uh, to keep going. It, but sorry, one sec, the, the football takes care of itself. If yeah. you're good at the football, it takes care of itself. Because look at Pep Guardiola, the situation he is in. You've got Conte and Mourinho, two of your biggest rivals at each other's throats in ludicrous fashion. Wenger just got his first ever touchline ban and it's probably going to get banned even further or something because that whole situation has just got out of hand mm. with the, the referees and stuff. He's just got knocked out of the cup. He's under a huge amount of pressure. Klopp just said he won't sell Coutinho. Then he sold him. Uh, and let's not forget, Mourinho's the first jibe was at, was at Klopp himself. So Klopp's got some stuff to prove. Half of Pochettino's team want pay rises. Guardiola is sitting pretty, and the reason he is sat pretty, the reason he doesn't have anything to answer to, is because his team is so good at bloody football. But but also this will infuse the football. Like I think in all the debate about Mourinho, we, we wonder whether his team have been kind of a, as emotionally intense as some of his best teams. Whereas I think they were in say the two 0 last year against Chelsea, and they were really pumped for this game. And I think this could have a similar effect. And, and like, I mean, already, I think since this all happened, people got, oh, I can't wait for this Chelsea United game. Now, it's due to be 25th of February. It might be uh, postponed if Chelsea qualify for the League Cup. But that, that, you can't not think that this is, going to, this is going to electrify that match. Yeah. What's really interesting to me is how um, when Conte was saying that he, he knows that Mourinho has always been, quote, a little man in all circumstances. <laughs> and clearly, I, I mean, I think one of the... That ro- alludes to something... I think, <laughs> I think the root of this, or one of the one of the main roots of this, is that, of course, Conte took over at Chelsea 18 months ago from a team which had been absolutely destroyed mm. by Mourinho, confidence-wise. 
uh, the first half of the previous season. And remember, at the very in the first few games of Conte's time at Chelsea, when they lost two one at Stamford Bridge to Liverpool. I think, and afterwards, Conte was basically blaming it on Mourinho. Mm. He says, when you finish 10th, there is something strange, not natural, not simple, and kept going on about how there was like a big problem in the players' minds. So clearly he he knows how bad Mourinho made things at Chelsea. We're going off on a little bit of a tangent now, but I think you, you've had this before. Is, is, do you think Chelsea's 2015-16 has now been overlooked a little bit too much? That it's been given too much of a pass? I, I think that, yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think that the that half season is one of the biggest and most interesting and important stories mm. in English football this century. And I think it's been, I think Mourinho has to be held very, very accountable for how bad it went in a way which no other, like that has never happened before. It's never happened before. Yeah. And it happened it. on his, it's not just it happened on his watch. It, he like, he made it happen. It's his fault. And he's not really had to pay a price for that in terms of public... I mean, he's walked into the Man United job. Uh, and he's not... Even in terms of public accountability. And maybe if Conte is now going for Jose Hard, and if they're going to meet again soon, then Conte might be... I mean, I wonder if Conte will decide yeah. to bring that up. Because it's... I, I think, frankly, Jose's kind of gotten away with it during his time at United so far. Think about... you know, Conte steps into that job... And and it is he's got two things to live up to here. One, the absolute low baseline of that 2015-16 season, where he's shredded the confidence of a team, ripped their like soul out basically. What happened with Eva Carnero? What mm. happened with all the players there? The players there are going to be some horror stories that Conte will have heard internally. Yeah, um, that I, I think you've heard as well. There are going to be some horror stories that he's heard from inside the team. And then on the other hand, what you've got is this absolutely great side. You know the the historic Chelsea that have won everything basically under Mourinho, mm. and he's their most successful ever manager. So they're fighting. He's fighting with two Mourinho ghosts: but, but, the great Mourinho yeah. ghost and the ghost of Mourinho awfulness. But, but this is the thing as well. Then it's going to like, especially with how this is going and now how how loved Conte is by Chelsea fans. Can you think of a situation where a club's most successful ever manager has been so? I suppose he's 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 now so disliked yeah. by so much of their support. As he says it himself, Judas is still number one. <laughs> another another classic Mourinho yeah, yeah, moment yeah. from the last year or so. Do you reckon they'll end up like that at Manchester United? Do you reckon what what uh, this is an impossible question to answer. What would Jose Mourinho's legacy be at Old Trafford? Um Will it be sub Van Hal? I think it I think he'll be above L V G above L V G and Moyes. But See the, the one thing about Mourinho, he's better at getting He's better at kind of whipping fans up to support him. Um, He's done that very well this weekend. Yeah, again, the, the, exactly the siege mentality thing. I think uh, he's much better at that no, than Moyes and Van Gaal. Obviously, Moyes is a different kind of situation there. Um, I'm still. I have to say, given what happened at Chelsea, Mourinho has done better at United than I've expected, particularly this season. Uh, I also, I mean, there's, there's, been, there's been twice this season where I thought they would really destabilize and fall, and that was in October after the Liverpool game, and then in the last few weeks after this lull over Christmas. But to be fair, he's got big wins since then. So they, I mean, he does seem to have restored the classic Mourinho kind of gritty baseline in that way. Um, I'm still very dubious as to whether he can win a title at United, though. But I actually, I wouldn't rule out a Champions League. And he, and if he does that, then he's he's, he's It doesn't matter, yeah. yeah. Given that there are now, or there are question marks over 
certainly Conte being at Chelsea next year mm. and to a lesser extent Mourinho at United next year. Does this spat make you hope they both stay on because it's just so much fun? <laughs> yes. <laughs> I mean, yeah, Conte with another year of English under his belt, anything could happen. Yeah. You know, I, I don't even say what you might bring up. Mm. But you, you've got to look at uh, this situation and say, you know, it's, it's probably... I guess it's probably already peaked, isn't it? You know, I, I can't I, I, see... I, I, I don't know. I can't <laughs> see a way that they can accelerate this. Especially... Uh, see, you know, you know what the problem actually is that Mourinho doesn't have a game this week. Or not the, well, the problem. Mourinho doesn't have a game. So the next person to speak is Conte. That's tomorrow at his press conference. So there's been no chance for anyone he to will go have back been, to Mourinho. He will have been, <laughs> he will have been urged to, to calm it, yeah, I think, yeah. obviously by the club. Um, when, you're, when, you're, when it's after a game, no one speaks to you between you between the final whistle mm. and the reporter talking to you in the tunnel. So there, there's less guidance. When you're sat at the press conference at your own training ground next to the press officer, mm. it's less likely that... I mean, unless Conte's gone full Rafa, if he turns up with a sheet of paper <laughs> and he starts listing poking Tito Villanova in the eye, like all these yeah. things, then, you know clear your desk because this is going to be we're going to be in all night it's just going to it's going to kick off in a massive way but I, I think what we've all agreed is uh, it's important not to be sanctimonious about this it's been very entertaining um, at a time when the Premier League probably needs it and probably when the FA Cup so does the FA Cup benefit from this or does because people are at least still mm. it's, it's just kind it's, of showing any... the narrative power of the Premier League basically uh-huh. that ultimately which is the Cup's biggest problem yeah like well, yeah exactly well, like, all these suggestions how to fix it just pale next to that yeah like exactly like the Premier League is hegemonic and it's mm. kind of eaten the FA Cup in the same way that it's eaten the English national team or whatever else uh, and there's no there, there's kind of no escaping from that mm. and the fact is that the FA Cup just like you said it's been subsumed <laughs> into a kind of platform for the the, Premier I mean, League rivalries. Does, does anyone bar Norwich fans care about the nil-all draw that Chelsea had on Saturday? Can't <laughs> uh, probably because they have a replay, but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, they're probably complaining about the fixture congestion, but at the same time, it's going to be Ethan Ampadu, mm. Charlie Masonda, and all the chaps playing. You know, it might not be that big a deal. Uh, before we go, I think we probably, given way more time than anyone else would have done to that particular spat, but it was entertaining. Uh, a little bit of transfer window talk, just yeah. because we are in the transfer window you only get probably four podcasts during the transfer window and um, it's something that we talked about the other day actually is that people love transfers people know, love because transfers, yeah. there is that it's that constant hope of your team getting better it's, it's, it's the reason everyone loves young players it's potential and hope rather yeah. than the reality exactly, because, yeah. because it's like oh the reality might be 6 out of 10 but what if he becomes 9 out of 10 in the future yeah, yeah. now the reality is next week he'll be on loan at Fleetwood but it, that's, that's always the hope so Roughly speaking, I think we can say that the biggest deal of this transfer window has already happened. Yeah, two, well, the, two, the two biggest we actually... Yeah. Well, we were actually one we expected, maybe, Van Dyke, and the other one that was sti- not, not quite... I mean, I was surprised... Even a, even a week sold. or two ago, we would have been surprised that it was going to happen so fast, mm. so quickly. Um, he's actually out injured for three weeks now, Coutinho. Barcelona have, have announced today. Mm. Um I think everyone's written extensively about, you know, why this is good for Barcelona now, why this is good for Liverpool now, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. What do we expect Liverpool to do this month? It feels difficult for them to get a like-for-like like replacement. Yeah, they did, they did want Lamar um, and have been looking into that. Uh, that could be difficult, though, especially given how tough Monaco are to negotiate with. Uh, there's also been murmurs today that they'll, they'll try and bring the Kaita deal forward. 
which yeah. And Leipzig have said they won't do that, but they, they also said they wouldn't sell him yeah. before. So we'll be interested to see what happens there. Um, Alexis Sanchez sounds like Arsenal and Man City have at least been talking over the weekend about that. And, uh, and the other side of that is basically how, not problematic, but obviously Wenger wanted to keep, was determined to keep Sanchez in the summer to push for Champions League and all this, but... Probably hasn't quite worked out how he's imagined. <laughs> There's I don't been think he, dressing room I, I, issues. It's weird. I remember Wenger clearly had high expectations of Sanchez mm. and Ozil's performances, given they were staying. And Ozil has, to be fair, proven Wenger right by playing really mm. well. But Sanchez has been absolutely awful. Yeah. Like, yeah. There's, there's no. Uh, uh, no, no. Which one of you was at Arsenal Palace the other week? Me. Yeah. He's okay. He he's scored, he scored two goals against Palace. But he's like, Mark, there's no, there's no point in being there. Yeah. And, and, even and like, also his, play, his, his teammates hate him. Yeah, so a lot of players have been saying things off the record. The journalists yeah. kind of like... That, what, that's that's hmm. the problem is that there's obviously an issue, like a personal uh, thing. And, and Did you see the Elneny tweet last week? And I'm, no, again, no, I'm, I'm, I'm only going... Well, Elneny was... He tweeted... He did a tweet about for the new year about all the Arsenal players that will be going to the World Cup. And then at the end of it, I'm, sorry, no place for you, Alexis Sanchez. Mm. Now, apparently, I, I, I probably shouldn't really be looking into this, but however. Go on. <laughs> Sanchez unfollowed them off uh, Twitter or Instagram, wherever it was. Um. <laughs> Astonishing scenes. <laughs> but, uh, but that, I mean, as, as trivial as that is, it, it does point to kind of this, how petty, or not petty, but some of the issues that Sanchez in that dressing room. Um, Arsenal really in a bizarre situation now. Um, I, I just don't even know what to make of them anymore. There is still the chance they could win the Europa League, the League Cup, and finish sixth. And finish sixth. And the the, which, 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 Jose uh, yeah, which we call the, the Jose Mourinho treble, <laughs> yeah. which, which would be an interesting way for them to... They, I think genuinely, I, I honestly think they have to win the Europa League this season. They, like that, that has to be their yeah. aim, surely. Because I agree. What on earth? It'll be interesting if they do the kind... I remember last year, obviously, United made that switch, didn't they, in yeah. about March or April from playing their good players against in the Europa League and their bad players in the Premier League. Mm-hmm. It'd be interesting to see if and when Arsenal make that yeah. same switch. But, and, but, but, I mean, I think you're completely right. I mean, Wenger's never won a European trophy. Yeah. And that does, I think... Well, obviously, the one he wants is the Champions League. But still, to, to have the European trophy as your career is kind of a, a proper signpost for it. And then, secondly... It's a, it's a way back into the Champions League. Yeah, I'd say, well, to be honest, this this is a huge week. They have mm. to be, having played their bad players the other day, they have to play their best team against Chelsea and they have to get a result. If they get hammered against Chelsea and they're out of the League mm. Cup final, then the you know the, then the season narrows even further. If they sell Alexis Sanchez, will they, do you think they'll buy in January? Yes. Um, although, where are they, I mean... Is but it, you're going to be, you're going to be getting a downgrade. Yeah, well... I mean, if it's it's a if it's a half interested Sanchez, obviously it's a downgrade from peak Sanchez. But if they don't, if they can have that, uh, there's been murmurs again today about about Mares. What wasn't Wenger? Sorry, wasn't Wenger quite damning of his fringe players after the game? He was actually damning of the senior players. So he pointed right. out they had eight or nine senior internationals out there. Like they had, you know, Walcott, Welbeck, El Nani, uh, Debussy, Ospina, who was actually their best player. Do you think the likes of Walcott, who um, I was at Fulham Southampton on Saturday, Mauricio Pellegrino did suggest uh, that well, he called it, you know, did the usual thing where you compliment a player that you obviously want to sign. 
after a performance like that, do you think Arsenal are going to be more willing to let Walcott go? But can they if they sell Alexis well, I don't Sanchez? see why they played Walcott because it would have made him cup-tied. Mm. Um, yeah, but does do Southampton care about an FA Cup cup-tie? Yeah, probably not. Um, also, I don't really know why Walcott's still there. D- d- this, this is a bit of a tangent, but why does cup-tie rules still exist? I mean, if we're talking about the Premier League being the biggest event, and you're obviously not going to be cup-tied for that. Like, it, I think you're right, there is no reason they should exist. Yeah. Um, if we're ranking rules that I think should be phased out, it's not top. Away goals. <laughs> away goals would probably get bigger. Yeah, away first. goals is yeah. the worst one. Um, I think, uh, who was it? Ian Hawkey, I think, in the blizzard. He uh, did. Searched he that out, wrote a brilliant thing on why the away the, goals the, rules. The, the one nonsense. thing I think that away goals can be good for is that it can add that extra tension. But the problem is, when a good away goal is scored, then that tension evaporates in the game. Yeah, and also, but you're, you're, I mean, you're absolutely right, it does increase the tension, but it increases the tension by like rigging the game yeah. by but saying there are, if there you are score a goal under these circumstances, that goal would count double. In the Libertadores, in World Cup qualifying, I, I completely would have away goals. I just think in modern Europe, in the Champions League, yeah, yeah. you don't need it. I just yeah. don't think, uh, and, and there are exceptions. The game's too homogenized. Right. You know, like if, if teams were having to, change plane twice like and drive you know the, the famous one into Barcelona where uh, Jose Mourinho beat that incredible yeah. Barca team because Barca had to drive <laughs> uh, on a coach through the yeah. Alps because of the Icelandic uh, yeah. ash cloud that sort of thing like back in the 1960s 70s that was normal mm. you having to t- undertake these awful journeys and away goals should well, count and, and, and the big one then of course was that you know they'd be stepping onto a pitch say you're, you're playing like in Poland or whatever in the 1960s and yeah. you, you, it was difficult to scout these teams so there wasn't elements of the unknown and I, I think that was basically teams would play defensively just by, by, by nature well we're on this pitch we've never played on before yeah, you know, yeah, in certain yeah. conditions against a team we don't know so we better be cagey then, then maybe and so the away goal was obviously to, to kind of draw teams out in that perspe- in that sense I was reading something a while back on the, it was like what, was it 67, 68 Intercontinental Cup Racing against Celtic mm. and they're saying like they've never seen the, the first 20-30 minutes of the first game was trying to work out who on the other team was good yeah, because, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. you've never seen this team before. <laughs> and it's like, if you're the right back, you know, do you want to push up? Because like the guy on their left wing could be their best player. Yeah, yeah. He could and suddenly it, have a burst of pace. He could be awful. Yeah, he could yeah. be someone playing out of position. You just haven't got a clue. But this is way off topic. So, uh, <laughs> back to what are we talking about? The transfer, <laughs> the transfer window. Um, Chelsea, do you think they're going to do anything this month? Uh, well, I've got Barkley in. I think that uh, he still wants a wide player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he still wants a striker. To supplement, or basically, someone to start when Morata can't because he clearly doesn't uh, trust Batshuayi in that situation. But then there is an issue there because, well, A, Conte himself might leave at the end of the season, and B, he wants to bring in experience, whereas Chelsea have this policy of basically bringing in 20, 25 year olds for the, like the Real Madrid policy. Yeah. Um, and I, I mean, he he does want Vidal, but they've got Barkley instead. So, yeah. Well, if. You think your coach is going to walk out at the end of the season? I I wouldn't. No, yeah, let yeah. him have a say over transfers anyway. It's, you know, it just doesn't make sense. Um, United, do we think they're going to do anything? They want to. They want to bring in two. Um, are they still off that, that defensively minded wide player? Yeah, yeah. Um, Where else do they want to strengthen? He wants a left back, uh, even though Shaw has come on. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but he still wants one. Um, although I think, do I've, you think they'll they will bid what they need to bid for Danny Rose? I'd heard he got a bit cool on Danny Rose, and there's also the issue of dealing with Levy. He'd be leaning towards Malcolm or maybe Sandro for the summer. So there, there is a possibility that United will actually do no business this summer, but even though they want to. You mean this or just, sorry, this January. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, I'm trying to think of the other clubs we missed out. Liverpool. We've gone uh, Liverpool we've talked about. Um, City, I think. I'm trying to think uh, City, City will do a, a, a centre-half as well. Watford and Palace are battling out for goalkeeper. We've got 
Uh, Brighton certainly want to get a striker in. I think that I think they could stay up if they get someone. If they just get a goal scorer, he gets probably between seven and eleven goals. They're actually, in the second half of this season, and there's probably peace in this. There are about ten clubs. Now, this might be quite obvious, and that's about ten clubs that need a, a goal scorer. The, well, the bottom, the entire bottom half, basically. Yeah. Every club almost is looking for a striker, and that's why currently Atletico Madrid let Luciano Vieta go out on loan last week to to Valencia. No Premier League club mm. goes in for him. Just absolutely astonishing. You've got a guy who at Villarreal was brilliant. And if you gave him a run in the team, again, he might not score goals, but what are you are doing at the moment? And the upside of this guy is a guy who scored like 15, 20 goals in a Liga season. He's yeah. 23 and you can buy him for 15 million euros at the end of the season. That's good as a Barclays, An Argentina mate. international. That's good as a Barclays. The Barclays deal? No, no, no. I mean the Premier League. I'm joking. The Barclays deal, by the way, uh, who will be happier in 18 months' time? Ross Barkley or Everton? Who will be in a better position? Because I, I think he'll work out better for Barkley. Mm. If we're, even though Conte doesn't seem to really want him, uh, I think if he gets enough time with him, uh, Conte could be really good for Barkley. What sort of player would Conte make him? Where, where would he play? He'd probably use him in one of the attacking positions, wouldn't he? What, uh, kind of like or, maybe, or maybe he's a kind of an eight or... A, I mean, that, that was the initial but intent. But they don't really play, like, I just can't see how he fits into... In the 3-4-3. Three, three. Three, he doesn't fit into 3-4-3, three, yeah. three, and I don't really... If they play the 3-5-2, he's not as good as Fabregas. You know, you know well, where yeah, they but play... But to be fair, there's already been a few, uh, like, I suppose, like, Victor, Victor Moses has been the classic. Yeah. A few players who contact, he's like, oh, well, what's he going to do with them? And he's done something that we haven't expected. We'd I never believe Victor Moses would have become True. a okay. top right yeah, wing back. That's yeah. fair enough. Yeah. 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 But uh, I think Barkley could play on the right or left of the front three, mm. kind of where he's used Willian sometimes. And I think at a push... Maybe, yeah. he's quick enough. Against weaker opposition at push, you could use him... I think you'd probably play him there in games where you're going to be up against a, a low block, basically, where, you know, he's not going to be Pedro stretching the field, but what they're going to be sat back and you're trying to w- like work through them. I think that's probably more where they see him. Has he got the legs to be in the midfield too against weaker opposition possibly you know the replay against Norwich if he's fit in time would be kind of a good game to yeah. try him out I guess but I fundamentally think that Conte is one of the better coaches in the league so yeah. I would trust him his development with him and I think the Everton thing hadn't worked out I'm not sure it, it seems like he needed a change though yeah, yeah. The, the Everton it's been odd in terms of work um, he, what he can do with Barkley basically though I suppose <laughs> the ultimate issue is we aren't the tactical or football mind that Antonio Conte is. So, yeah, no, absolutely. <laughs> so he, he can see something that we can't. <laughs> um, we've probably gone on for quite long enough. Uh, unless there's any other business you'd like to attend to today, Murph, anything you'd like to add? No, um, Miguel. Uh, I'm interested actually in the dynamic between Murph and Andy Carroll. Andy it? Carroll. Yeah. Well, uh, at, uh, at West Ham. A blossoming love. A yeah, blossoming love. Yeah. Uh, do you want to come? Yes, on? producer Matt did actually say uh, that he wants Andy Carroll in the England squad, which is. An opinion that gets regurgitated every two years there's quite just a, there's, before there's, a tournament. There's quite a, a difference in... Uh, I'd love to see you standing approach. next to Andy Carroll. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. I mean, it would be quite... He didn't need a box to stand he, on. He didn't need a box to stand on. Uh, on which note, we will say uh, goodbye. Tyrion Lannister and Sansa Stark. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. Am I allowed to say that? Thank you for... Uh, you know, we can say that. That's not copyright. Um, thank you for joining us uh, as always um, listener numbers continue to go up which is better than them going down so uh, we thank you for that thank you for Miguel for joining us uh, for being in the country this week uh, we'll see you next week uh, Jack as always a stalwart uh, thank you for coming in thank you Ed and uh, producer Matt 
in the corner, you know, crossbowing someone on the toilet. Uh, we'll see you next week. Every fan knows the right player in the right position can be a game changer. Put LifeLock between your identity and identity thieves to monitor and alert you to threats you could miss. Plus, with a U.S.-based restoration specialist on your team, you won't have to face drained accounts, fraudulent loans, or other losses from identity theft alone. All backed by the LifeLock Million Dollar Protection Package. Change the game on identity theft. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.